today on our Tech for Business podcast, Todd, our COO and CISO, and Nate, our Director of Cybersecurity and BCSO, are here to talk about cybersecurity and manufacturing. So to kind of start us off, I would like to ask, what makes manufacturing a tempting target? Because they are. No, I, 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 for what it's worth, I think this is, this is probably a wall overdue podcast. Oh. I don't think we've focused on manufacturing up to this point. But, you know, so uh, for what it's worth, both myself and Nate had worked at manufacturing prior to working at CIT. So we do have quite a bit of an experience with it. Um, in my personal experience and being in that role is security does tend to be a kind of an afterthought. And I don't mean that to be disparaging. It just tends to be. And it's not because the IT leaders feel that way. It's just because the organization has a lot of stuff in front of them. And they do have a lot of things that they think are higher importance. And so it is very difficult to get security as front and center as a priority for organizations. And because of that, I think they just naturally tend to be a higher interest. There are a few other factors, but instead of covering all the ground, I'll leave some some space for Nate to, to jump in and expand on as well. And if he misses anything that I thought was important, I'll jump back in. Yeah, the, the only thing that I'd really want to add to that one right off the bat is that manufacturing, they tend, tend to not have the greatest technology. Now, there are absolutely special cases to that where we've seen some phenomenal tech within those uh, organizations. But in general, it tends to be things like legacy systems, right? You know, we know that a lot of these manufacturing companies, it costs millions of dollars to replace some type of automation system. And so they're going to ensure that they get the full life out of that, which oftentimes extends beyond the supported life of the, the vendors. And so we still see manufacturing organizations that are running Windows XP, right? Uh, that's been end of life for, I think, 11 years now or something like that but they're still running it and they just keep doing that and they're it costs too much money to replace uh, or they haven't you know allocated that type of refresh within the budget cycle to say um, how do we continue making these regular updates um, but also one of the problems with that is with those changes of technology it causes potential issues in the manufacturing process which means downtime which means revenue and so they want things as stable as possible. So with all those legacy systems and it's often a lack of additional investment into keeping them, you know, up to date or, you know, stuff like that, it does become come that hot target because the, the security controls in place are often lacking, right? All the effort is going into just maintaining and generating some type of revenue. And then also regarding the tempting target is that even though they may not have something like personally identifiable, I, PII, personally identifiable information, and PHI, like a healthcare facility, healthcare info, um, they do often contain intellectual property that could be sensitive, right? We know that we've seen electric manufacturing companies that are working directly with the Department of Energy and Department of Defense. Um, so they are working on very classified schematics that they don't want in the wrong hands, right? And you could take that to other manufacturing sectors. Um, so again, typically poor tech um, and also potentially working on really classified info. 
Yeah, I mean, so the sensitive data is kind of a, a reoccurring theme across the industry, but it definitely does apply to manufacturing. The one other thing that I kind of wanted to expand on that Nate covered was more often than not, what we tend to see with manufacturing is it seems inevitable that most manufacturers have some form of 24-7, depending on how the business is going at any given time. And because of that, you you really lack the capability of doing any kind of updates, whether that's you know, a technical control or logical control or even patching or doing anything, taking a device offline to make sure that it's getting the appropriate amount of maintenance does present another burden. So when you add all these things together, what you really do is you tend to have systems that are prone to attack. They have holes in them. They're just not in the best position as possible. And um, Nate did stand my, steal my thunder. It's it's inevitable that every manufacturer has some out of date a piece of equipment. And and everyone that I've ever worked with, whether it was well cross industry, it doesn't matter. Every organization I've ever worked in manufacturing has that one piece of equipment that is extremely expensive that they just can't replace because they haven't it's it hasn't gone through its life cycle yet or they hadn't budgeted or whatever the case may be so that's it's inevitable that we run into that i feel like you kind of answered my next couple questions um which were what were you know what are unique challenges in manufacturing and then common blind spots is there any expansion you can give on either of those yeah i mean i think we did we did do it I, and i don't think people purposely put things behind them but again manufacturing does have a lot of things that are, are considered more urgent by them and, and and reasonably so so if you're in manufacturing there's certain things that are just top of mind for you safety is going to come first you're going to make sure that your quality is a great big deal and then you get into a bunch of other things like financials and whatnot but because more often than not if you're in manufacturing the first thing you're going to hear out of somebody's voice is our job safety is job one or something along that or quality is job one and so it automatically is going to have a much higher priority than something like cybersecurity or, or cyber hygiene. It just is natural. And I don't mean to imply that that means it's a blind spot, but when it comes to making sure that your employees are trained, you're most likely going to do safety training, quality training, that type of stuff is going to come way before cybersecurity. And so it is going to be making sure that those staff members are getting everything that they need it's a it's a full slate of training versus specific if you will so it does cause some issues and it more as a conflict of interest is what comes first is more than say a blind spot per se uh, i think a really important note to call out here is that we are not advocating to decrease security to implement cybersecurity. Uh, if you look at any cybersecurity executive certification course, they say, what is the greatest risk to protect at all costs? And it's human life. So safety absolutely comes first. So we all agree on that one. So it, it's just being aware of that is one of the, the, the gravitational forces that you kind of have to fight against if you're going to be looking at increasing the security posture. So with the other common blind spots, I think one of the things is just lack of knowledge of some of the industrial control systems, right, is it's easy to have conversations. It's easy to look up information about, um, you know, Windows security, Linux security, that type of stuff. How do you typically go in and say, what all, what all do I need to do to go secure a Siemens controller, right? Or what about that one laser that's measuring distance or something like that, right? Does, is, is that laser vulnerable? I don't know. Maybe it is, maybe it's not, right? It's, it's potentially connected to the network. Is it just purely reading out or could it be potentially infected with malware or something like that? 
So that's one of the hardest things. Uh, it, I see our industrial cybersecurity is a complete specialty that people go spend their entire careers in. Um, so if you're going to be looking for a security professional that is truly going to help you out, you really want to focus on that type of person, right? So I know this is a hot button for for Nate too, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get in front of him a little bit on it. Yeah, he's not gonna love me after this one. But 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 as you see stuff happening in the uh, manufacturing world, you're starting to see a lot of smart devices get out there, and there's good reasons to use tools like this. And, and you can use whatever technical jargon you want to use on it, whether you want to call it operational technology or the Internet of Things or whatever you want to call them. They tend to potentially be a blind spot because you're, you don't when you purchase them, you're not always looking at it going, if I introduce this, does this present risk to my organization? If you're a manufacturer, you're thinking more along the lines of efficiency gains and better metrics, et cetera, et cetera. And so those types of things could potentially be an area where you have been um, potentially skipped a spot in the event of trying to reach another goal, which again, if you're looking at lean tenants and all those types of things, that what you're trying to do is get somewhere relatively quickly, quickly. And uh, again, working in manufacturing, what get what gets measured gets improved is a, a mantra you hear all the time. And so you're focused highly on specific things and you may potentially skip a step on uh, looking at, does this present additional risk? Am I putting a hole in the network? That type of thing. And um, I think Nate's glaring daggers into me, so I'm going to be quiet for just a moment. So, yeah, <laughs> I, IoT is a really big pressing one. Um, it, it's easy to throw it on a network, but we've already seen cases of, you know, that smart TV is always calling out to the internet. We, you know, it could be the the random smart speaker, you know, that could potentially be exploited. Uh, you know, there's plenty of cases of stuff like that. Um, and in the manufacturing space, oftentimes one of the things that are often a challenge is proper data segmentation or, you know, like network segmentation. And so this is one where we've seen manufacturing org after manufacturing org that have a very, very flat network, which means that all of the devices on that network can intercommunicate with each other whether or not they should or not. And so, for example, all the smart TVs or the digital displays showing the uh, automation progress or something, those should be segmented off to their own network. Um, and then what you can do is you can set up like a demilitarized zone, which means that it, it's kind of the untrusted area. So you could put stuff like that and then only allow the connections to the more core pieces of software or hardware that it needs to communicate well, with, but you don't give full access to that, um, you know, those critical infrastructures that cannot be tampered with. And so really one of the things that manufacturing organizations should be doing is saying, how can we essentially build, you know, these kind of like shelled containers and like the rings of our network and saying the most critical for our environment, maybe it's the, the CNC machines, the, you know, the, the pouring system, whatever it is that you're, uh, doing that's the critical that's what makes you money at the end of the day that should be the most tightly controlled then at that point all the ancillary products that need to communicate to that put it in the next shell but allow only those specific connections then maybe there's uh, data from there that needs to be able to communicate to the workstations or the servers you build the next shell and then out you know and to less and less trusted but you really need to focus on those layers 
and really define what those are. That's probably going to be my number one recommendation when it comes to uh, the manufacturing industry. And guess what? It's free, uh, right? It, that's just proper <laughs> network controls. It, it does still take a little bit of help from from the right people, um, but so it's not quite free, 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 free. But it, but it is it is low cost, low effort. Uh, I agree. I mean, one of the, the the manufacturers that I worked with had such an outdated system, and it, it was Windows NT, so pre XP, and they couldn't update it. The cost was prohibitive, and they had made the the justification that this is something that we just can't afford to do. And of course, we did build a roadmap and saying at some point we do need to do a refresh, and we built that out. But what we did in the interim was in this particular case, it was not a smart device. And so we would just physically take it offline um, and it just wouldn't connect to anything until there was something that came up that forced us to need to bring it on the network. And then when even when we did, as Nate mentioned, we would segment it off of the network. And so the only thing it had access to was the Internet itself. And so in the event somehow somebody saw it come on and said, I'm going to attack this thing they would only have access to that one device. They wouldn't have access to anything else in the company that is considered critical. Um, so there are all kinds of practical things that you can do. And again, the effort is really, really low, like pulling the network cable out of the wall is pretty darn low <laughs> security. But as we go into this conversation about how do you start to do best practices and what do you start to do to mitigate the risk? Um, I think we've said this in a many of other podcasts too, is you do have to kind of understand what you have, where you have it, et cetera. And you can't protect it if you don't know what it is or what threats it brings. So as Nate's talking about, doing that review of what do you have, where is it, how important is it is. That's just a general assessment that people have. Inherently, they typically know what they have. And they know that, yeah, it probably is a problem. It may be, but they don't really put a lot of, okay, let's be very formal about this. And that is probably a good place to start. One other piece I wanted to, to, to drop in here real quick before I forgot is as we were talking about safety and security and, and kind of bringing those together, there is training that typically happens inside manufacturers. And one of the things that, that I would say is a big deal is that human element, that training component. And it can be overwhelming. A lot of organizations tend to do big lift training where I only get that pull that person off the line this one time this month. So I'm gonna jam 30 minutes into them as fast as I can. With cybersecurity, I would do things that are much smaller, much more digestible, and I would do you know three to five minute trainings where you encompass a lot of information. There are great tools on the market that kind of do that in more of a dramatization kind of methodology, so you don't have to have somebody standing at the front of the room droning at them, which, hey, I do that plenty of times. That is a <laughs> role I fill. I would suggest not using me in that role, using the good tools that are out on the network and, and use those to your advantage. But the that would be another one of those understanding what you have and what are the first steps of mitigation and improvement. Yeah, for sure. Kind of going back to some of those challenges we mentioned earlier, and you know, we have other episodes on best practices, but I was wondering if you could go into a little bit more detail specifically about those challenges that manufacturing is facing and and what they can do or you know, a plan they could make three, five years out. Yeah, we, we did talk a little bit about some of this uh, leading mm -hmm. up to it, but I'm, I'm going to throw a resource out for people uh, and then, you know, maybe we can link it into the show notes and everything like that. Um, but the Cybersecurity Infrastructure and Security Agency is a U.S. government. Uh, it's called CISA. Um, and what CISA does is they provide a lot of info out to the public community 
about best practices and securing themselves and everything like that. And so the one thing that I would call out for CISA is they have a lot of information about industry control systems, the manufacturing industry. Uh, they have it really for every market segment. Um, but one of the things that they do have uh, is a document, and I'm just looking at it on my other screen here, is cybersecurity practices for industrial control systems, uh, which uh, again, most manufacturing organizations do have that. I'm just gonna read it directly from them, uh, kind of the key topics, but this is kind of the plane that we're talking about, right? Um, so kind of what Todd was saying is the risk management and cybersecurity governance. You have to know what you have. You have to have someone who's actually gonna oversee that um, so that way it just doesn't become a talking point that then falls away. Uh, physical security. So this is a big one. These manufacturing plants, you don't want someone in the public just walking in through the door, the, the, the warehouse, you know, stealing your stuff, uh, tampering with the stuff. Do you have the proper physical security controls to ensure that it's only your trusted employees? Um, the network architecture and the perimeter security, we already talked about this a little bit, which is that network segmentation and building those strong cores to maintain um, strong control of the data and you know connections that can touch on that critical stuff. Uh, host security. So this kind of ties back into more than some of the other legacy podcast discussions like the EDRs, the application whitelisting, you know, the, that type of stuff. But can you ensure that the devices in that network that are potentially going to be communicating with your industry control systems or industrial control systems are actually protected? Do you are you actively running malware or something like that on the network that can then start working its way through those cores, which then kind of plays into security monitoring. If it is, can you even detect it? Um, and this is probably one of the bigger challenges where I think that a lot of manufacturing companies haven't got to quite yet. Um, most of the other stuff, it's been a well-established, but most of them are not running some type of solution like a a SIM solution, or which is a security information and event management. It takes all the network logs, parses them together and generates alerts if there is something malicious. And do you have the people that can actually respond to those as well, right? Uh, a, a tool that's alerting, that no one's looking at it, doesn't do you a lot of good. And then the next thing that they call out is supply chain management. So this is gonna be a big one. You are ordering a lot of critical infrastructure from other providers. We've seen this where in some of the top industries, right, is they you know suspected that maybe China was implanting chipsets into these motherboards or you know other types of stuff like that. Um, if you want to go full nation state, Stuxnet, right? There's a USB, and that's what brought down 25% of all Iran's nuclear capabilities because of a malware attack on a USB that was plugged in, or a, a controller actually, a Siemens controller into that infrastructure. And then the human element is what they also talk about, which is just, again, like Todd was mentioning, training the employees and everything. So all that to be said, network infrastructure and better architecture, plan that out, you know, start mapping it out, putting a plan in place on how you can continue tightening that down. And then security monitoring is going to be a big one. And then in my opinion, the vendor due diligence on the critical hardware that you're going to be bringing into that is that manufacturer actually doing the due diligence to ensure that's secure going out their manufacturing facility before it enters yours. 
Um, <clears throat> two things off of that is, um, as Nate was going into the, the CISA, CISA, however you want to say it, there are some free resources for a lot of critical infrastructure. And a lot of manufacturing does fall into critical infrastructure. And so it is worth the time and effort to go and do an investigation and say, does this apply to me? Can I get some of these free resources? They will help you. Um, it is the U.S. government. They do care. They want to make sure that you stay up and running as well, as much as we do. All right, we care more. Uh, anyway, um, so so they're out there. If you need help navigating that, there are orgs out there like like CIT that are more than capable of helping you through that that process. And then part two is Nate touched on this, but I wanted to highlight it. I think I want to make sure that this this hits home pretty quickly. The question sometimes is, well, this doesn't really impact me, which we don't see nearly as much as we used to, at least not with our customers. I think outside of our our pocket of influence, we don't see it. We probably see it more frequently than if you're with us, but people start to get into the, I'm not really sure this impacts me. And I want to be certain to be clear about this. The answer is yes, it does. Um, you're starting to see this across the board, whether it's the US government, if it's cybersecurity insurance, it doesn't really matter almost everybody is starting to write into their security programs whoever they're working with their security needs to be and i quote at least as good as ours and if they have a program and you don't you're not on the right track and this will impact you and it is coming so if it hasn't hit you yet it is on the way it is something that will be impacting you and and more more often than not when we get engaged with somebody from the first time what they usually tend to do is they get into this well, I don't really know what this means. Can you help me through it? And that's the perfect example. This is coming. You are going to be expected to have some sort of security program as well as a roadmap to go with it. So, you know, as we kind of move into the future for manufacturing, what are things potentially coming down the road that we should be aware of? Probably the biggest one for me is smart technology, uh, right? And yeah. The, the one... I. I love smart technology. I think there's a lot of value to it. But then just as a, an illustration of one of the things that we've seen uh, fairly recently was there's a smart wrench, right? It, it can sit there and record, you know, all the torque specs that it previously did. Now, benefit is maybe you're using that to go in and say, I can now validate that all of my wrenches were properly, or the bolts were properly torqued on this thing. I can maybe go give some airlines some suggestions about that. But the but again, you, you could have a very nice auto log in case there was an issue to then go back to the logs. Mm -hmm. However, the smart tech we've also seen has vulnerabilities that then attackers can actually modify to say it reported that it was torqued correctly, mm -hmm. but it was actually under torqued or over torqued or whatever it is, right? And so just be aware that mm -hmm. there is a lot of benefit to tech, uh, specifically in like the tool sets that we're using. However, be aware of the potential consequences. And then that, that kind of gets back to, are you doing the software update on your wrench, right? <laughs> um, it seems absurd. You know, we used to joke about smart toasters and here they are all as well, so. As we kind of wrap up here, I think, you know, we spoke a little bit earlier about security being a high priority, you know, that that human life element of it for manufacturing. Um, but cybersecurity is just as important. So how do you start to move the needle on that for manufacturing? How do you get that buy-in? Yeah, great question. Um, I, I, we are running out of time, and so I won't go too terribly far in depth <laughs> on it, but we we have a podcast for that. It's one of my favorite <laughs> sayings. Um, we do. We, we had the how do you get the uh, management mm -hmm. buy-in, and I think that's really what it is, is there is a 
component of that, but it, but to start really what you need to do is start to review the stuff that we talked about. So you need to do that assessment. SISA potentially can help you with some of that pieces as well. But if you understand where you are today, then you can start to build a what would the ideal state be. Once you've got that idea of where you want to go, you can start to pull budgeting together. Once you have the vision and the budgeting, then you go to the leadership team and saying, here's where we're going. Here's why we want to go that direction. And here's what it's going to take for us to get that, whether that be costs, effort, and buy-in from leadership. If you don't get the buy-in from leadership, you'll, you'll, you'll not get to your end goal, unfortunately. I was going to say fail spectacularly, but you know, you got my, you get my idea. <laughs> yeah. The one thing that I just would add on top of that, and I'm not going to go down the full podcast about how do you get uh, management buy-in, but it, it's one of the conversations that I've had quite a bit recently is what do I do if I have bad results or right? it looks really bad? That's a great time to actually have the courage to go back to your leader saying things aren't going well, right? I, I need additional help here. Ultimately, that kind of puts a responsibility on them to help make that decision, right? You've made it aware at least make a, a, a log that you've communicated that with them, right? A little bit of that CYA. But the big thing there is take the extra step, be a little bit brave, communicate the challenges and the struggles. That's how you start building some of that influence. And then that feeds into that uh, other podcast as well. Yeah. Yeah. One, one minor uh, expansion on that is great points. I agree. There is a little bit of personal courage in there. More often than not, in my experience, Management doesn't get mad when you bring problems to them. What they get mad about is surprises. So if you tell them something before it becomes a surprise, they, they are much more likely to embrace it. Um, but there are other options that can help through this process too. And we've done this across industry is a lot of times that that person that is the owner of the issues, if you will, says, how do I present this to management? And sometimes an organization like CIT or other can kind of help soften that blow. They can come in and say, what we have here is very common in your industry and there is a way forward you don't need to be afraid the fact that you've recognized there is a potential area for improvement is a good thing it kind of like nate said this is good being in a spot where you know that there is an opportunity to improve is exactly what you're looking for in manufacturing again if you're in manufacturing you are going through that constant improvement process and at a positive you can find a way to communicate that and say how do we get better this is how quick Quick joke in here. Management hates problems. Todd, every time I bring him a problem, he says that's your problem. Go deal with it. <laughs> Delegates that's right not back true. down. I love problems. <laughs> Just not surprises. <laughs> right. No surprises. Uh, if we're, we're going to do jokes, I, I, I think I've mentioned this on another podcast, too, is the reason why I'm in IT is because I can't solve problems at home, but I can with customers. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's great. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Todd and Nate, for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe. If you have a question or a topic, please reach out to us at info at cit-net.com or head out to our website, cit-net.com slash podcast. And we'll be back next week with an all new episode.